guys, just a quick note before we start the show. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at Bottled Classics. Patreon is a monthly subscription crowdfunding platform that offers you exclusive Bottled Classics content like bloopers, behind the scenes, extended sound bites that we couldn't fit into the show. Let us fulfill your need for more collaborative storytelling. And again, thanks for the support. Now, on with the show. Congratulations! You found us! I'm Kate. And I'm Amelia. And we're discussing that book you should have read. You said you read, but you didn't read. We're going to give you a reason to join a book club you can snack behind. And to lubricate the experience, we're going to pair it with a special drink. Welcome to our party! You can be in your PJs. No judging. Welcome to Bottle Classics. At last, a place to slightly care. Hi, Amelia. How are you? Hi, Kate. I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. So, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. What did you think? I'm surprised because I know I had read it in high school. I didn't remember it too much. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to read this. Just, you know, because of the nature of the show. But <laughs> it was very surprising. I really, I really got into it. And it was a very good read. I was looking forward to reading it every day. There were a couple of moments that I thought were really great that yeah. were, you know, just like, oh, it's just still so important today. I'm excited that we started with To Kill a Mockingbird. It's one of these books that everybody's like, oh, that's my favorite book. And I'm like, really? I don't even remember that book. You read it in eighth grade. Everything went over my head. I completely didn't understand the significance of a lot of moments in the book, just because I didn't relate to it yet. And now, being a lot older, I understand. And I'm like, oh well, this book is really great. Totally missed that the first time around. So I'm glad we started to get into it. And I think, you know, even when you read something when you're younger and then reread it later in different parts of your life, you catch different things and you totally. totally relate differently. But also, you know, there's things that because the story's told from a little girl's perspective and as a kid reading it, you're like, yeah. And then now as an adult, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> kid, you got that wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, it was interesting to reread it as like your grown up self. OK, so Amelia, I'm really excited to introduce you to this wine that I've paired with To Kill a Mockingbird. It's by this company called Gruet, and it's a Blanc de Noir, which Blanc de Noir literally translates as the white of blacks. So it's an exciting thing because it's a sparkling wine made from Pinot Noir grapes, hmm. where they gently press the grapes and the juice runs off the skin. Which is interesting because I know nothing about the wine process. I just drink it. Uh, right? Right. So, so is if you think about it, it happens. would be like having a red wine, except for it's a white wine because there's no skins in the process. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but all the grapes look the same inside, right? The this skins. is true. I don't know all my grapes. Just but like humans. Yeah. We look the same on the inside. Disgusting inside, mushy <laughs> with blood. Exactly. So what do you think of this wine? I mean, it's very delicious. I don't I don't have anything sad to say about this. Do you want to know what they say about it? Like the people on the street? The people on the street. <laughs> they say it's uh, they say <laughs> what these people say. They say it's pale salmon in color. Oh. Okay. Full-bodied wine that has a fine mousse and a creamy, rich texture. I do love reading the descriptions on the back of wine bottles because I find it really interesting. It's like, I guess I can taste the salmon. Okay, no, not, there's no salmon no, in I it. Know. It's just like, it's kind of very Michael Scott where he's like, this tastes like a red 
you know, yeah. or whatever. But no. I don't know. Yeah, it is nice to have like the picture, but then sometimes I think with wine, especially with me, I just I do just want to drink it and enjoy it. And if I like it, I like it. It doesn't matter what the brand is, but it's really pleasing. Like I mean, I think because mm-hmm. sometimes with sparkling, even though they're all great, it just there can you know they kind of feel like acid. Some I not like acid. No, no, I'm no, sorry, you're right. like no. acidy or something. But this it one goes like down strong. really. Yeah, nice. this one's very smooth. So I think it's something that a lot of people yeah. you know would enjoy drinking. Yeah, if I want to serve something sparkling, this would be like the perfect thing I to could, serve. I could see this going really well with wings as well something crispy oh, to pair you know hmm. just like balance what crispy it out. thing did you pair yeah. with this well Amelia? i meant like lemon pepper wings oh, or yeah, hot wings i or mean well cake anything anything really? <laughs> bubbly no, bubbly goes with it all does things. go really well because our snack for the day is um alabama firecrackers and they i am a wimp when it comes to heat of so spice I. I mean I, I, I can't do heat. i appreciate the flavoring but right. i need definitely something to cut it and i think when you're having spicy stuff you kind of want to have something cold and refreshing so these crackers are actually and we'll do a little video of how to to make these for I mean, it's so easy. Like, I did this literally while we were running a bath for my daughter. My husband was there. It wasn't unsafe. I was in the kitchen. It's fine. But um, you basically just put in a Ziploc, Ritz crackers, and some olive oil, and red pepper chili flakes, and Italian seasoning, and that's literally it. And you shake it up, and you let it – but you do have to do this 12 hours at least ahead, mm-hmm. and then you got to rotate the Ziploc bag or something. Um, but that's basically it. But it is, like, it's really addictive – you do need to pair it with, I think, some sort of dip of some sort. And we've actually done a little cucumber, cucumber dill. dill. A dill. dill Special dip. dill dip. And I'm <laughs> I'm partial to Greek yogurt just because I like the richness of it. But I'm sure a sour cream would do mm-hmm. heavenly. And with the f- beverage, it feels good. I could totally see adapting this recipe to do different things. I could see pairing it with some fruit and probably something else but it would be a great like appetizer for any kind of get together yeah i mean it's super bowl sunday you have all of these ingredients in your home i mean maybe yeah. not a gallon size ziploc bag unless you're like a mom and you have to have gallon size ziploc bags like me yeah because you what? could do a tupperware but you could do multiple sandwich bags if you needed to it would just take a while you could be <laughs> eco-friendly and just do tupperware i don't know you could do a bowl and just toss but it in i guess bowl. you could do it you know what you could do you could do it in a casserole dish or something, yeah. and then you could rotate it. It just sometimes you, just you need, need a ziploc a bag. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to hate the environment, but maybe a ziploc bag. All right, well, great. Let's get into it. What do you okay. think? Well, about the book, not about life. Well, <laughs> let's start with chapter one. Yeah. When Amelia was born. Yeah. <laughs> chapter one, an chapter embryo. One, an embryo. <laughs> So this is our introduction into the family and our main characters. I really loved the first bit, the first chapter, because, you know, we find out we're in the voice of Scout, and she's about six years old at the time. She paints a really great picture of the town that she lives in, which is Maycomb, and it's in Alabama, during the 1930s, right after the Great Depression, it's after Mm -hmm. the the crash. I guess it is kind of a rural town. It's kind of like the gem of the county, is what they say, but it's within farmlands and stuff like that. Yeah, I would probably compare it to your bigger of your small towns. Like this is where everybody, this is where the post office is. is. This is where, yeah, the shopping market is. That's where you would go for everything. 
but it is a small town. There's not a lot of traffic. There's, you know, there's a lot of gossip, a lot of gossip. And there's a lot of social standings. There's like older families that are doing better. But I mean, to be honest, there's not really a lot of better going on. It's just like varying grades of like you're starving to well, like you're, it, you're it eating is the depression yeah you know nobody's doing really well yeah so scout's dad atticus they, they're part of the finch family and they historically were landowners and they had like land property but atticus and his brother are the first ones to kind of be professionals like atticus went mm-hmm. to be a lawyer instead of doing that and i think that probably gives him a little bit of an edge because his skill isn't dependent on land and it's not dependent on other things like everyone needs a lawyer at some point especially during this time so he gets paid through trade a lot and stuff like that and i think she is kind of on the nicer end of the spectrum who else was in there that we calpurnia calpurnia she is a mother figure for scout and for gem gem is her older brother Mm -hmm. who i think is about four years older and calpurnia is their black cook who's basically raised them their whole life and she's really like firm and like you know kind of like Good. gives them their what's what's up like a strong mother figure yeah. by the way we do introduce that scout's mom died about right. two years after scout was born right so scout doesn't really feel it i mean gem definitely does she's just like she doesn't have a lot of female influence she's definitely hanging around all the guys mm-hmm. and she thinks she's just as tough and she's mm-hmm. very smart and she can read and, and that's when we meet their friend that comes yeah. to town that summer which would be dill mm-hmm. yeah i think she, he's maybe a year so older but he's like teeny tiny apparently yeah he's He's like a little pumpernickel (laughs) oh that's he is he's just like a whippersnapper just trying to get in there and he's very smart for his age yeah so he was very proud that he was like i can read you know which is something that i think is not many scout could read because her father taught her but but even for a young kid she was reading a lot but that was their bonding or whatever yeah but i think with dill so he comes to town in the summer and he's visiting his aunt because apparently he just kind of gets shuffled around is basically what it is. We don't really know because Dill's a storyteller. He's always kind of like making these big stories up. And the way that Dill and Jem and Scout interact is Dill became cool because he had seen movies. And so he reenacted the mm-hmm. movies and that was basically like their YouTube without the tube kind of thing. But then it kind of hits a point when he finds out who Boo Radley is. And that's like the town rural legend uh-huh. who he just never leaves the house. House, which is also kind of creepy it's like this in this town he never leaves so he's right. fascinated he wants to get him out and so mm-hmm. the whole summer is like let's, let's try get, to get him boo out, out. <laughs> oh the other big thing that happened in chapter one was the dare yes so that was their huge progress of chapter one is essentially jim went all the way to the front porch and slapped it yeah because and that was called it. him a chicken yeah and that was showing <laughs> Jill, what's up? Like he that slapped was it. the front porch of Boo yeah. Bradley's house. Yeah, it was it was a big day. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, chapter two. Scout enters the first grade. It doesn't go well. She embarrasses the new teacher, Miss Caroline, and Scout teaches her about Walter Cunningham and the rest of the country kids in her class. Chapter three. Jem invites Walter home for lunch after Scout beats him up in the schoolyard, and Walter pours syrup all over his food, just like that scene in Elf. When they return back to school, Miss Caroline is horrified when she sees a bug come out from Burris Yule's hair. The more horrifying part was that none of the kids were phased, and Burris just found more up there. Ew. I love how you made Miss Caroline so nice, and I was like, she's an idiot! 
<laughs> she, but Scout describes her as nice. I know. She like Scout I even know. says like if she was if she wasn't so pretty, I would be like. It's you so know. funny, but to me when I read that, I was like, she's so pretty, but she's dumb. Like, like that's how I. No, read she it. just <laughs> wants to do. I totally get Miss Caroline. That's the problem. Is like I understand one hundred percent, and she's yeah. like, I learned how to do this. I want to do it. I'm going to do it just way. like they told me. <laughs> you know, I'm young and inexperienced, and I'm like, this is my class. I'm going to change the world. Like I totally understand yeah. where she's coming from, and that's why it's like I think I'm a burst you all in this in this moment because I was just you like, gotta listen, bl- lady, listen, lady, you gotta assimilate here. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. Sorry I, about I, that. I feel Caroline. <laughs> Chapter four. Scout and Jim find chewing gum in the knot of a live oak near the Radleys' house. Scout crashes her tire into the Radleys' yard and hears laughter from inside the house. The children begin playing Boo Radley, and Atticus shuts that down. They actually play with scissors to do a stab scene. I was <gasps> thinking someone was going to die or get pierced in the eye or something. I was like, are you nuts? I'm sorry. The scissors was really freaking me well, out. Didn't Don't Atticus play with scissors. take the scissors from him? Oh, yeah, so why are you playing with scissors? The backstory is Boo stabbed his mom? Stab somebody with scissors. In their fictional. But did we boo. did we mention that too? That Dill and Jem and Scout are starting a play right, about, about what happened boo to Boo Radley. Radley. Was it true or was that their fictional play? The but they also like play, it's all made up. Okay. And they also play different characters in town, right? Which I think Miss Maudie and others kind of like noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also definitely that, the parents were definitely aware of what was going on. Yeah. Chapter 5. Scout learns more about Boo from Miss Maudie, a neighbor lady who's obsessed with gardening and the best baker in town. My hero. (laughs) The boys try to give Boo a letter. Atticus has had it with Jim, tormenting the Radleys. Jim takes it very personally and decides he won't be a lawyer when he grows up. Probably join a punk band or something. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 6. The night before Dill was leaving for the summer, the boys include Scout on their plan to go up to the Radleys' house at night, and they get surprised when Mr. Nathan Radley, Boo's dad, shoots a warning shot. No, that's not Boo's dad. It's his brother. No! Nathan Radley? No, Nathan Radley's the brother. This whole brother. time I thought it was his dad? No, it's his brother. No! Yes, character list. I have it right here. Bottle Classics Problem. Oh, no. I just, I noticed that. I was like, no, that's wrong. Uh, Nathan Radley, Boo Radley's brother, who comes back to live with the family when Mr. Radley dies. Okay. Well, see, this is why there's two of us. (laughs) Okay, so we'll just say. That's his brother. Boo's brother. Because it's weird that, like, the brother does the same thing that the dad did. Like, like, you would think that the brother would be more sympathetic. Yeah, I think think what happened with the Radleys is I got so bored. I was like, come on. This whole family's messed up. They are and I think up. to me, I'm just like, might as well be the dad. So Nathan must be the oldest? No, I thought he was the younger or was he one. the youngest? He was the younger brother. Like, Boo was the rebel, right? And that's why they uh, kept him home. So okay. I think the younger brother. And then he was sick. Right. And then the young, because they probably gave him a lobotomy. That's what oh. I assume they did. You didn't get all that? No. I think I just, like, glazed over the Radleys. Like, I really don't think, like, I just feel kind of like, what? Oh, but that's how I felt. Like the Radleys were so yeah, fascinating something happened. to me, and that's I why he's inside. People didn't survive from those back then. They did, but they, they were did? like comatose stroke patients. Like that's what it became. Oh, I thought he just like came down with the sniffles for like decades. Like he no. was just like oh, they, so sickly they took and I don't him see to, the sun. No, they took him to an institution. Remember to straighten him out, right? Instead because of, prison. of the scissors. Remember, like he gets institutionalized. That's uh, probably where okay. they gave him the lobotomy or shock therapy or whatever. And that's why they were like leave him alone and leave him inside yeah oh my gosh i open now i feel so bad for boo but this whole time i I felt bad for 
point. Taboo because he was isolated. But I. Whoa. Yeah. That's that's the way I always understood See, Boo, and that's why he's portrayed like he's super sickly. He's kind of I just a thought, little mentally slow. I just thought after a while, when you don't see the sun, you get sickly too. See, this is why you have to be part of a book club because sometimes <laughs> you don't read the words well. Okay, so that's learned. why the brother okay, we figured came this home. one out. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. All right. I remember reading there was a brother, but yeah. I didn't like in my head the whole rest of the way. I was like the dad. Just but I guess dad. he was very dad-like, but that's yeah. so funny. Mm-hmm. I think I just really didn't, yeah, just didn't care about him. Even though I know they're part of the fun. Yeah. How funny is that? Yeah. Okay. Blah, blah. All right. Chapter six. The night before Dill was leaving for the summer, the boys include Scout on their plan to go up to the Radley's house at night. And they get surprised when Mr. Nathan Radley, Boo's brother, <laughs> shoots a warning shot. Jem's pants get caught in the wire fence, and he ditches them, and all the children meet up back at home. When Atticus notices Jem's pants are missing, he's pantsless. Panic Dill comes up with a cover. They were playing strip poker. (laughs) (laughs) And Jem is like, oh, we were playing with matchsticks. Oh, how do you play strip poker with matchsticks? I want to know how to play that game. I liked how he was just like, you guys settle it yourselves. Get out of here. He was basically like, go get your pants. Yeah, that go was get your like, pants. I want your pants back. Yeah, Atticus was great. And then the reveal, when Jem goes back where his pants got caught. Yeah, and they're sewn. And I want to be like, how mended. fast are you sewing over there? Because it was like that whole time to find a threaded needle. Like, I just don't <laughs> understand. Like, when they said that, I was like, was it the mom? Was she, like, no, really good? No, it was Boo. Boo mended the pants and put them. It was just Folded nuts. them neatly over the fence and put on back. I just loved that. And then the fact that Jem was so freaked out by it. My pants were mended. He was very emotional. They knew I was there. Oh, that was actually revealed in Chapter 7. But anyways, also in Chapter 7, the children keep getting different knickknacks from the oak tree. And then eventually the knot that they find all the knickknacks in is filled in by Nathan Radley. Chapter 8, to me... And I wish I could remember this experience, but the first time I saw snow, that was chapter eight when she's like, the world is ending. Snowpocalypse. Yeah. And then let's talk about the mud man that they make because they can't make a snowman. They don't have enough snow. Well, they, because they made the base. They made it the was base. It was a good idea. Foundation. Topped it with the snow. Again, when you talk about who are you in the book and it's Miss Maudie, and she's like, oh, please take all the snow from my yard because if they get on my azaleas, they won't bloom. The frost will kill them. Yeah, she's and like, I'm like flipping out. Like, I totally understand exactly what she's saying because, yeah, one good frost and all your buds are gone. That night, the kids are woken up by Atticus to go outside. Miss Maudie's house was on fire. Everyone was outside trying to help while the children watched. With all the commotion, Scout didn't realize someone had put a blanket on her. It was Boo. 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 <laughs> the Boo thing, too. I was like, I still, I think me and you go back and forth about if, if Jem mm. saw him or not. Because I'm like, why him. wouldn't he tell he her? Why he wouldn't he be like, him. hey, Boo? Like, why would you just be like, I think he probably think he was, was like, yeah. Could you imagine seeing a ghost? I mean, wouldn't you be like, Ah-da-da! you know, like you would well, say something. Well, that's what happens. You went, so <laughs> and you like stop. You couldn't see him. Um. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Geez. Chapter nine. Atticus begins defending Tom Robinson. Atticus wants Scout to learn to fight with her head and not her hands. Hands to yourself. 
Christmas comes and the family travels to Finch Landing. Scout beats up Francis because he insults Atticus. Uncle Jack only listens to Francis's lies and punishes Scout. Atticus and Jack discuss the trial and how it will affect the family. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. I keep going back, but chapter nine was so big. This is also when Alexandra pesters Scout about not having dresses and stuff. This is the first oh. time we feel the pressure for her not to be a lady. Oh, that's true. Here we go. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. The dog. This, the dog. The okay, dog. <laughs> chapter 10. The title of the book is first revealed in this chapter. Atticus kills Tim Johnson, that's a rabid dog, with one shot. Scout learns more about her older dad's past. This is such a weird chapter for me because it literally just points to Atticus had a past that the kids don't know anything about. Oh, no, so, it's a complete shock because so he said he wh- never carried a so, gun. Like, yeah, so how can you imagine your dad all of a sudden in a new way that you never knew about? Because well, I think, you know, it was great timing. Obviously, it had to set the pace that he had other things, but it really spoke to, I think, all of us. We don't know our full parents' upbringing or, you know, we oh, weren't there so for true. it. They were saying how he was an older dad and he Mm -hmm. didn't do the things other dads did and even miss maddie said he can do a lot of things he just does you don't know about it and they even joke around he's like well he can write a really good will it was it's cute to remember about the parents and also do you know everything about your parents or do you oh no i don't know anything about my parents i think i know they're my father and my mother and you know them as how they relate to you but i feel like we don't i mean i look at livy and i'm like you're never gonna know who i am i mean i can tell her things but you know you still look at your parents through a parent lens like they're not they were never cool they're like i don't know Okay. Ooh, chapter 11. Ooh, chapter you wrote a, a lot. little hard. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, this is your Radley. This is my Radley. <laughs> I did not understand. Really? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Enter Miss DeBose, an old crotchety lady who allegedly hides a pistol in her shawls. Miss DeBose was a morphine addict and a very sick woman. Jem is forced to read to her after he destroys her camellias. She ultimately dies, but free of drugs and proves how brave a person can be. What do you think? Why is this an important part of the story, and why do we want to tell this? And really, everybody keeps you didn't no, like this. No, I had no idea. I and because this was it's a like, big piece here, really? it was prepping because them it's for the next all part. about of how it means yeah. to be brave. Being brave isn't like fighting with. I didn't understand that. Really, I really didn't. Oh, I loved it. I mean, okay. when they're walking and this lady is literally taunting them, yeah. and they're literally having to be bigger than that, mm-hmm. even if they were completely oh, right. Oh, he's not bigger than that. Jem, like, destroys her camellias, he, which I would have been very upset by that, because I love my camellias. <laughs> How dare he, like, attack my camellias? But I, that's my yeah, only, he like, totally, little thing. Yeah, he totally gets schooled by Atticus and then mm-hmm. has to pay the price. But it is such a, a lesson, I think, for everybody. It's like it does doesn't matter what the people are saying like it really is so great that she's like completely tearing these kids down Mm -hmm. I mean they're little kids they have no idea yeah and Atticus is asking them to be bigger and Mm -hmm. just like anybody yeah you really didn't like it I loved it I didn't understand it I really didn't they she was horrible to them because they had to prepare for what was coming this is just a lesson like people were going to taunt them and everything's gonna happen but it doesn't matter what happens to you what you control how you adjust it dealing with their own thing everyone's gonna give you crap you have control of how you feel about what they're saying to you so Mm -hmm. he was saying about being a gentleman waved his hat at her and was like how are you doing you doing good even though she completely well and she loved atticus he he completely got terrible right and he and he knew that was the other thing he knew exactly what she was doing to her kids and 
And I mean, I'll tell you, if anybody said anything to somebody you loved, you would be like, excuse me, she just doesn't know. He knew where she was coming from. It was like, there was no responsibility on that end. And he just mm. was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, you just got to keep going. Mm. I don't know. I mean, that's why he is so strong. I, you bring up a very valid point. I did not get all that when I read yeah. it. I thought, why the heck is this he chapter is so in there? even keeled. And it's also great because he's kind of prepping his kids because it's well, about he to was get like, real It didn't matter serious. even if you had destroyed her camellias. I was going to send you over there yeah. anyways. Yeah, you got to learn your lesson. Yeah. yeah. It was totally something they had to learn. And especially he, he knew That's crazy. the little girl was going to go there too. Scout was going to go too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine sending your little kid to go see this lady who's just smelling horrible, horrible in a bed and dying? dying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would send Livy there. It's just like, Ugh. and getting literally like cursed at like the whole time. Yeah. You saw her, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. That's it's like training him up. Wow. That's quite I, a lesson. I kind of loved it. And I okay. love that she sends him. She like torments him even after and sends the flower. Oh, remember? Yeah. yeah. And he was like, like, she's getting me well, even it was afterwards. Like, it was like all he did was like, he was like, oh, you just pruned my camellias. Yeah. You didn't like actually you didn't get them all. Them. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, thank you. You just pruned them for me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah, man. it was great. All right. That's the end of part one. Woo! Let's Woo! go to part two. You did it. Oh, we Woo! Did it! Part one. <laughs> Let's take a little break. That was a lot. It was a lot to unpack. Unpack. Stay in your traffic. We'll be back for part two. <laughs> Hope your traffic gets better. Here's part two. Part one was quite a lot to unpack. And, you know, part two, thank God, is much shorter. However, <laughs> is it or not? No, it might not. It's a bit longer. <laughs> it's longer. <laughs> it's longer. <laughs> But there is a lot to talk about. So part two, let's dive in. Gem enters puberty. Oh, my God. I have to say. I think it's the age difference, too, to be fair. My sister and I are about five years, and they're four years. And it's like that's what it happens, right? Like that 12, it's like you're just old enough to be not wanting to play house. You don't want to hang out with your younger sibling anymore. But I think he doesn't. He's not super mean about it. I think he could have been meaner. Yeah. But I think he gets that he's kind of like third parent or second. No, well, he's parent. like, there's nobody else yeah, for a Scout to hang out her. with, really. I love that he tells her to act like a girl. Oh. It's like the first time he's like, you got to start acting like, like a, a girl. girl. And it's like, what? She's like, what are you talking about? What? I don't know anything about that. Yeah. And then my other favorite part about this chapter was Calpurnia takes them to her church. Yeah. And we kind of start to learn the other half of Tom's story. When they get to church, they are greeted with mixed feelings, but in the end, everyone settles down to listen to the sermon, which ends with being told to donate to Tom Robinson's family. Reverend Sykes actually has the doors closed until they pool enough money. It was like sitting in a sweat lodge of guilt. I've been to enough Catholic services yeah. where they do very similar things. I I don't go to those because <laughs> I'm like, this is not the point. But <laughs> Chapter 13, Aunt Alexandra comes yeah. to stay and is determined to make Scout into a little lady. I love the yeah. reference that when they talk about when they've heard him on the phone with her and he's like, I'm doing the best I can, Alexandra. And it's just so cute because you could totally see them as siblings too. Like, back off, lady. Like, it's fine. Oh, you definitely see the dynamic I of think, the sibling relationship. And when she, I don't know if it is in this chapter. I don't think it is. It might be later. But when she threatens to get rid of Calpurnia. That's the next chapter. I was like, that's the next no, chapter. you got to step back, lady. I don't know if within Alexandra, I think he did need her to come because he needed more adults around because he knew he was going to be so 
so engrossed Mm -hmm. in the case. I mean, yeah, she's a pill. I think that she gets the friction from the kids because she's coming into their own little ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's like she's coming in as the foreign object. And yeah, it's kind of like the teacher. She has to find her step in Mm -hmm. with their rhythm. And Atticus shuts her down sometimes. But I think at the same time, whether Scout wants to or not, she is going to have to understand warfare of being a woman. Mm -hmm. There is some sort of duplicity that you have to play, even a little bit. And I think Atticus can't teach her that. He's a smart guy, but he doesn't know that part of it. (laughs) Chapter 14. After dinner for their routine read and sewing moment, it was the Netflix of specials. Scout asked Atticus what rape meant. Again. No, it was so good. I hadn't read it. So. Oh, so now it's like fun for you too. <laughs> Woo! Woo! This turns into her retelling Atticus about the day Calpurnia took Gem and Scout to church with her, which then gets Scout on wanting to go visit Calpurnia. This blew Aunt Alexandra's mind, and she firmly says no. Scout then forgets herself and says, I didn't ask you. Atticus immediately makes her apologize, which was a very good co-parenting moment for him. He tells Scout she has to listen to Calpurnia himself and Alexandra. Nope. He tells Scout she has to listen to Calpurnia himself and it's the ants. Ants, ants. Okay. And, 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 He tells Scout she has to listen to Calpurnia himself and Aunt Alexandra. That's a lot of grown-ups to listen to. But when aunt... See? It's the aunt. It's like... <laughs> do you say Aunt Alexander? Or I say aunt, aunt but you oh. say aunt, do which I? I don't think is a problem. Have I been doing that? You said that once. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are we from the north? <laughs> it's okay. We're, we're just from everywhere. Well, That's it's what? funny. In my family, I have an Aunt Tanya. But you have an aunt something Steph. else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like what you grew up with. Yeah. For the, anyway. Okay. But <laughs> now I don't know how to say aunt or aunt. <laughs> Whatever you, whatever you okay. feel. But when Aunt Alexandra tries to suggest Cal should be let go, Atticus shuts that down. Then the kids go upstairs, and Jem tries to tell Scout what to do. And she starts a WWE match. Atticus comes up and then shuts that down. But after their good night, Scout stumbles on something on her way to bed. Thinking it was a snake, she enlists Jem, her frenemy, to look. To their surprise, it wasn't a snake, but Dill! He was dirty and starving. Dill had run away because he was being emotionally neglected from his parents. Because Dill is good at embellishment, we don't really know how far this goes, but it was tragic enough to make him come home to the one place that made him happy. Long story short, Dill ends up staying with the Finch family. And basically, he stays with the oh, Finch family and we got a the betrayal. Triangle. Our first childhood betrayal was from Jem. Because remember, oh, this is when yeah. it used to be the three of them, and it was the code. You know, you don't tell you your don't parents. Tell he was hiding under Scout's bed when she tripped over him. And then she was like, we're not going to tell. Yeah, she told Jem because it's like the cohort. And then Jem goes, okay, well, we need to tell Atticus. And without even like having a debate, he went into the hall and just grabbed Atticus. And Mm -hmm. the both of them were, whoa, whoa, what happened? Because Mm -hmm. he was, you know, so mature. Wow. I remember thinking that. It was like, he didn't even give him a chance, Jim. He didn't Jim. even. He kept it a secret. But to be honest, but like. But was great. Yeah. I mean. You couldn't keep somebody like that a secret. No. But I mean, they're kids. You know, like, yeah. in it. Next chapter. This is a pretty big chapter. We start to realize that Atticus might be in danger. Because Jem kind of alludes to us that people are calling him names and starting to get a little violent. And then the guys are outside. So Tom Robinson has been moved to Makeham's jail and Atticus one night decides he's going to sit outside this jail. Oh, wait. I guess wait, Atticus, mm-mm. no. Wait, what? No. They're what? in the house and then the first 
thing is that there's men outside of their house that are calling Atticus oh, out. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And it was that it's the only reason that people are standing outside your house to call you out of the house is right. death in politics or whatever. Right. But that they were ended up being the friends, Tate and Heck. Mm-hmm. That is or the that's same the person. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Heck Tate is the Heck sheriff. Tight. Atticus stands outside the jail because he knows that there's going to be people trying to create trouble. We don't know exactly what trouble they're going to try and create. However, Atticus is out there defending Tom. Well, to get to that point, though, so the guys that were outside of the house... Yeah, were, were also the, the friends. same Yeah, ones. they were... No? no? Oh, they were different? Oh, yeah. I don't remember <laughs> Okay. <that>. The guys <laughs> outside were telling him, like, oh, they're going to move them, and then there's going to be a postponement, right. blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to Atticus was saying, I'm going to go out for the night. Sometimes, apparently, he goes and works at his office. But right. Jem felt a feeling that he needed to go check on him. And that's right. when he couldn't convince Scout to stay home. Right. So then they go walking and they notice that in the building where his office would be, there was no light. And he felt weird that something was going to happen because of the unsettling feeling. Mm-hmm. And then they see, I guess it's around the corner or something, the father outside the with jail. a chair. Yeah. Just reading. Under a lamplight. Yeah, just reading something, like no big deal. The newspaper. And then that's when the discrepancy is because there's the car that comes. Mm-hmm. There's people that come out. You could tell Atticus, they said he was doing his little slow, mm-hmm. calculated get up from the chair dramatic moment scout is the one that messes it up because she thinks that it's the same guys that were outside the, the house, house that they weren't they, weren't. they yeah. were the cunninghams right but she like steps right in it and they were literally going to come and beat up or have a fight with atticus and of course atticus doesn't have a gun so no whatever and then <laughs> but he's there to you know consult tom because i guess they were going to kill him and but then that's when scout jumps, kinda, forward. She jumps forward and she's like oh hi and she, oh hi mr cunningham yeah and I, <laughs> you know? what i loved about the way that she explains it because she's just trying to make conversation she was like well atticus always told me to start with something uh-huh. they can relate to and yeah. so she goes like, like i know hi, walter walter yeah. which if we come back to this was the kid in chapter two who right, comes the over molasses or the yeah the syrup, syrup. kid the syrup kid <laughs> hey do you remember that time your kid came over and poured syrup on everything that's yeah. how he related i think what i loved from that scene too is that scout kind of humanize him and that's what atticus says like he made it so that they realized for even a second that they were humans too this is the girl that's going to school with my son and yeah. we're all here and then that's what she really is kind of the one that gets them to go like, he just yeah. completely realized for a split second that we're that, people yeah this is not oh gosh could you yeah. <laughs> took yeah. on this gang of guys yeah oh hi i'm a little kid yeah i'm shutting down and she's eight and years she, old and she's like hopelessly going down the hole mm-hmm. too because the more she talks she's oh maybe i just need to keep being more nice to these people right. and talking okay. about different things right and just kept it going <laughs> the first thing atticus does is walk over to the jail window and tell tom it's all over and to go to sleep you'd think he would tell scout hey thanks for being super adorable so we didn't all just die we also hear mr underwood who owns the newspaper in town call down from a window with his double-barreled shotgun that he had them covered the whole time again what was he waiting for it took a child to humanize a fight that'll do scout That'll do. Chapter 16, the trial begins. And the children go to the courthouse. Everybody wants to go. It's a huge spectacle. Courthouse is packed. And the children have nowhere to sit. And so they they weren't supposed to really. And they weren't really supposed to be there. So they kind of snuck in. Luckily, they're offered some seats up in the balcony with the black community. It has a better view anyway. They got such a different perspective being in that balcony versus if they were down on the ground floor. I think they could actually see. It was a better view. (laughs) Yeah. Two, it was really hot. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? And they had Dill. And they had Dill with them. They're, you know, they're on the defendant's side of the case. And so they feel very personally attached 
to what's going on. And then now they know a lot about the case. So yeah. And I there's think still it says there's, a lot for Yeah, there's still lawyers kids though. They are they lawyers do, kids. They are and they very, talk about they talk that. About it. They're like, yeah. we're not you know, some kids Don't get upset, Dill. Some you kids know. get upset because they feel like it's attacking, but that's their job. That's right. the prosecutor's and they, job. And, and they're they, completely neutral they about defended it. And I love that it. They're my about, people. Yeah, trying to explain to Dill, you know, this what's just, going on. This is the game. And then we meet Judge Taylor, who liked to chew an unlit cigar throughout his trials. Yeah, I didn't love that description of the chewing of the cigar. Mm. Well, just light it or don't light, light it. it. Yeah. Don't just chew it. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, ugh. All right. There's a lot of saliva go. in this show. There's a lot of saliva. Yeah. I'm having a lot of saliva right now. <laughs> Chapter 17. We start with Mr. Tate, the sheriff, who gives his testimony. Summoned by Bob Ewell, the father of the victim, Mr. Tate came to their home to find Mayella beat up and lying on the floor. When he asked who had hurt her, she said it was Tom Robinson. Despite having clear bruises and claiming to be raped, no one called a doctor. They clearly haven't watched Law and Order SVU. When Atticus cross-examines Mr. Tate, we find out that her injuries are on the right side of her face. Then Bob Yule is called to the stand. While their home was built from filthy scraps, the exterior is lovingly described, looking like the playhouse of an insane child. I mean, it doesn't get clearer than that. So here comes Bob. And he can barely contain himself as he gives his testimony. Judge Taylor has to interrupt him constantly for language. It's like a Jerry Springer show. Jem and Scout were indifferent to trial proceedings. As children of a lawyer, they knew the game. Both lawyers do their job, and it isn't personal. Don't hate the players. Hate Hate the the game. game. Anyway, according to Bob, he was on his way home when he heard Mayella inside screaming that she was being raped by Tom. But then we also find out he was left-handed. Which Jim deduces that Atticus is building his case. The wounds on Mayella's right side would have been made from somebody who was left-handed. So there's that. Chapter 18. While the other Yules were predominantly unkept, Mayella appears as if she tried a little. We learn the way the Yules live is like a sad X-rated Hallmark movie. There's barely enough money from the relief checks. But Bob drinks it away and is obviously abusive. The mother being dead, there is no one except for Mayella to try and keep everything at home together. She didn't really go to school and doesn't really have any friends. When she recounts her version of the story, Atticus catches her inconsistency with the timeline of her assault. When she confirms again that Tom was the culprit, Atticus has Tom stand up. The big reveal is Tom is crippled on the left side of his body. Tom is crippled. Tom's crippled. Did I say Tom's crippled? Thomas scribbled. Dun, dun, dun. There is no way he could have hurt her. Mayella was stuck between having to accuse Tom, an innocent man, or having to accuse her father. She chose to save her immediate life and accuse Tom, but she did cry out of fury. That's all she really had. Yeah. It's sad. It was sad. She's so sad. She is it's a sad so character. Sad. There's, yes, we'll discuss later. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so then we'll jump to chapter 19. This is when Tom takes the stand and tells his part of the story, which is probably the truth, we can all assume. Tom explains the day of the alleged attack. He was walking by the property when Mayella asked him to help fix her hinge on a door inside. No, that's not right. Yeah. Bust up the chiffer robe. No, that was the lie that Mayella Uh, said. I'm pretty sure. We should check, though. No, but I think you're right. it was because she was trying to get him inside. Side. So oh. there was a chiffer rope that he had fixed months before. Which, okay, she was you want to know something funny? Is, and I hate the word chiffer rope. That word, chiffer it's rope. Like, okay. I've never heard that word before this book. But it's like a cabinet thing. And then I heard my dad use it really? at Thanksgiving. See, because now your ear was looking out it for was. it. It yep. was. And I was just like, I've never heard this word before. Yep. And then all of a sudden, now here's this word. I don't know where I've heard it. I knew what it was, but I... Yeah, uh, it's basically... A it's like a wardrobe. Yeah. But it's a small wardrobe. Mm. So Tom explains the day of the alleged attack. Mayella tried to force herself on him and Bob caught her 
Tom ran, which made him look guilty. Mr. Gilmer paints a bad picture of Tom during his cross-examination. Dill, untrained, gets upset. He and Scout leave the courtroom and meet Mr. Dolphus Raymond. Mm-hmm. Every time we say Robinson, I always want to go, Oh, here's to you, Mrs. Mrs. Robinson. Robinson. But it's just not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So Mr. Gilmer paints a pretty horrible picture, mm-hmm. saying that, oh, he's really able body. He could have beat you up, that you had asked him, Mayella, to break up this no. ship mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So clearly he's he sure was enough. very strong man, yeah. even though he was he, crippled. He could do it, because he did, right. but it was just not the timeline that right. Mayella had said. It right. had co- happened months ago. Right. Dill gets really upset by what's going on. And Jem, of course, is like, get a, get him out of here. Like, yeah. you guys go down. Get, get out. Yeah. Jem wasn't sure. going to go. Yeah. Jem was gonna stay and he was fine we meet mr dolphus raymond and that leads us into chapter 20. mr raymond offers dill a swig of his paper bag wrapped bottle to help his stomach dill accepts and then we find out it's coca-cola mr raymond has been pretending to be a drunk to avoid people smart man yeah he might have coined the holiday party coping method i'm drunk don't talk to me i see what you did (laughs) after getting a life lesson by the town's acting drunk they go back inside atticus was giving closing remarks when he did something so ghastly his kids were horrified he took off his watch undid his tie and took off his coat he might as well have been naked atticus essentially breaks down that some people are good and bad and that we're not created equal like otherwise told we all have advantages and disadvantages from everyone around us the leveler is the courts. Before they could fully digest their father's words, Calpurnia shows up at the courthouse oh, and man. says, the children about, are missing. Talk about being busted in front of oh, the whole town. Man. It's so in, embarrassing. In front of the whole town. <laughs> and I'm sure and, Atticus was like, great. Yeah, <laughs> and so the children work. have been missing all day. I don't know where they are. We come to find Mr. Underwood is the one who gives them up and goes, well, he I knew, know where yeah. they are. They're up in the balcony. But he's known, and they've known, yeah. he's known he for knew. chapters, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's so sweet that he was just like, all right, guys. Yeah. I love that their first thing was like, you need to go home to dinner. Oh, yeah. You're in trouble. He still let them come back. Yeah, to find, know, to find the to verdict. Find the verdict. Yeah. But that he, Atticus even says that he doesn't think that they'll be able to see anything because he thought the verdict would, would be fast. Would be really quick. That's what it would be. And, and then that's the victory is that it took hours for yeah. them to come to a verdict. But the sad news is that even though they debated for hours, the verdict was guilty. So then we go into chapter 22, where the children and the family all come grips to the verdict of the trial. And Jem really has his coming-of-age moment here, He really does. Yeah. He really does. In the morning, Atticus and the kids wake up to a kitchen table full of food from Tom's family and friends. It was a thank you for the fight. Atticus is moved to tears. To cheer up the kids, Miss Maudie made some cake and starts into it. She tells Jem not to worry. Things are never as bad as they seem. She continues by telling them that there are some people who are born to do necessary unpleasant jobs for the community and Atticus was one of them and Hectate. I didn't understand that because she says Hectate but really it's like why is the sheriff looking out? I don't think he's done anything that's good. He's just an honest man. I don't remember that either. Yeah he should have called a freaking doctor. You know? I don't know. know. The problem is Jem is now aware that Makeham isn't the community he thought it was. Miss Motti explains Judge Taylor had to appoint someone to Tom's case, and he chose Atticus. He knew he would actually fight. Miss Motti knew he could never win. I mean, everyone knew he wasn't going to win, but he was the only one that could keep the jury out long enough to make a step in the right direction. And then Bob Yule spits in Atticus' face at the post office, like a five-year-old. While Atticus uses handkerchief to clean off the tobacco spit. Ugh. Ugh. I know. (laughs) I mean, flavorful. (laughs) 
now we're digging into and i keep saying that oh this is the most important chapter this is the most important chapter but honestly chapter 23 if you're gonna read a chapter of the book this read is chapter one. one and keep going yeah. <laughs> keep reading a lot happens in chapter 23 bob yule decides to start enacting his revenge and he starts in little steps and the children start to suspect that atticus is going to be in danger as well they start to understand why boo might want to stay inside Aunt Alexandra is hosting the ladies from the missionary circle, and Scout learns firsthand how to be a lady. It seems pretty dull. She can't really get why ladies would put hats on just to go across the street. But it, it's kind of like a mom meetup who has the cutest yoga pants. That's so true, though. While Scout admits to herself that she is more comfortable in her father's world, Atticus comes through the door and asks out at... Oh, I mean, I'm killing you here. Ask the ask Alexandra. I know like, what how to many do. A I words can I put in a sentence? I know what to say. While Scout admits to herself that she's more comfortable in her father's world, Atticus comes through the door and needs to see Aunt Alexandra in the kitchen. Tom Robinson tries to escape from jail only oh, to be shot yeah. 17 times. And Cal has to leave. Oh, so this is the this one. This is when they, yeah, they all realize that they have to go visit Helen and tell her that Tom has died. And Mr. Underwood, because Mr. Underwood doesn't care and he's got his ability to write in his newspaper whatever he wants, he, you know, compares Tom's death and this comes back to the title of the book, to the senseless slaughter of songbirds by hunters oh, and right. children. Okay. So this is the second time we come to the reference of To Kill a Mockingbird. And that was from Mr. Underwood. So the first time we hear it from Miss Maudie and the second time we hear it from Mr. Underwood. 26, I have, it's 1935. And so Scout starts learning about Hitler in school. And she starts to understand hypocrites like her teacher, Miss Gates. But your teacher's a hypocrite. Hypocrites for Hitler. <laughs> Hashtag hypocrites for Hitler. Yeah. Jem is off to high school and morphing into his grown-up life. On the way to school, Scout continues to pass around Lise, but after all the events of her childhood, she's no longer scared. But she still does imagine meeting Boo and having a conversation. Before that, he reveals that he knew about Boo Radley and the pants. Oh, yeah. This was the first Atticus time in their, in their childhood yeah. time that she realized how much parents knew and that he oh, just yeah. let it go for years. You kind of slurred a little I'll bit. Oh, slurred a little? Well, slurred a little. Okay. You slosh. You, you drunk over there? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Chapter 27. Bob Yule starts creating problems for people. The other big thing is the first annual Halloween pageant for the children. Due to previous years of pranks and thievery of the home of two older sisters. With the nicknames Tutti Frutti. And it's not super important, but I couldn't pass saying Tutti Frutti. <laughs> the pageant has a skit type of play. And at the end, Scout gets her costume, which is this giant ham. Both Atticus and Alexandra can't go to the pageant. I was really annoyed. Okay, by the I can. I I wanted to say, what parent is like, What's dude? I, I'm not going to your pageant. I don't want to have to Which, deal with people. To be honest, like I totally I get, get it, like kids' pageants go. are lame. You gotta go. But, it's your parent. Like, but I'm no. sorry. Nope, nope, nope. We're just gonna. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. I was just we like, that. No, I'm not going so to your dumb. pageant. It was I'm not so going dumb. to your dumb pageant where you're dressed as a ham. Which um, I thought was dumb. He had a. She's gonna be a ham. I guess I could understand Atticus being like, I don't want to be there with all these people. Blah blah blah. Whatever. But I he still this kid. I, no, it just moves the story along. So anyway, Scout does an at-home pageant so, you know, she can show off her costume to her dad and to Calpurnia and Alexandra. 
they, she looks adorable as a ham and performs her line. I'm like still I trying know, to know, like, think about it. Like ham cage with two little like, eyeballs. I, the bird cage. Yeah, cake it's chicken wire. The, yeah. yeah, which sounds painful. Yeah, that <laughs> stuff is awful. At this point, Aunt Alexandra gets a bad feeling. That's it. It's that women's intuition. So then we go to the Halloween pageant where I freaking love that Scout falls asleep. Oh, the first part was walking there, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, Cecil you're right. kind of surprised them because uh, yeah. it's so dark and they yep. didn't bring a flashlight. And they he and jumps goes, out ah. at her. Yeah. That kind of sets up that there's kids playing pranks. It's Halloween night. The pageant goes over horribly because Scout falls asleep and mm-hmm. misses her cue to go on stage, comes in late, and she thinks she ruined the play, but obviously she did. And so they have to wait because she's she, embarrassed to walk home. Even though no one's going to see her because she's completely covered, covered in her ham costume. What I don't get, though, is why she didn't change. They waited till everyone was gone, but she still chose to walk as a ham, pork or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's full of, like, death metal in there. Mm-hmm. And they're just walking, but they think they hear, like, rustling mm-hmm. in the floor. Mm-hmm. The floor. There's dirt. They think it's Cecil. Cecil? Cecil? <laughs> what did I say first? Cecil? I don't know. We'll have to rewind it. It's either Cecil or Cecil. Yeah. Like Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil? I don't know. Ce- I think it's Cecil. Okay. Well, I think it's Cecil. Okay, you go. They think it's Cecil. <laughs> they think it's their friend at first, but then it's clear that someone is out to get them. No. Okay. Okay. No. You have to I commit need to, to a Cecil or Cecil. I'm just saying which one. I don't know. But they thought it was Cecil, so they started calling out, and they realized yeah. it wasn't him because he would have, like, they did a joke or something. Mm-hmm. But every time they'd walk, they'd hear it. But then when they stopped, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And then Jem figures out that it's not good, and he's trying not to freak his sister out. Right. So then they keep going, and then I forget who pulls, something pulls, but she trips, and then there's Well, they yelling. know they get under the tree because he says it gets the cooler. line because mm-hmm. the soil's cooler under mm-hmm. the tree. Oh, he wanted her to take the outfit off because, obviously, it's easier Why would for you him walk to run. But she said, I don't have very much on, which I thought was hilarious because he's holding her dress. And Oh, they were going to walk backwards because she left her shoes at the auditorium, which I also side note, how are you walking around and just mm-hmm. realize you don't have shoes on? Where are your shoes? How do you forget your shoes? I have no idea. They're <laughs> children. At that point, somebody kind of strangles her too. Like there's just a big her. rustle. Yeah, like she feels like someone's trying to crush her and, and she hears Jem hollering. She knows there's stuff going on she can't see and if she she's does, been crushed does she, around this. i don't think she can take it off because she at this point, well, at it's point she can't yeah and so then she sees that somebody's carrying gem and she thinks it might have been atticus or she something thinks it's atticus so yeah. she's following him and they're all yeah. going towards the house they get in the house alexandra and atticus are you know they call the doctor they, call they the doctor. realize what's going on they, they get call her the sheriff out. yeah but the nice thing here's where i think the aunt kind of comes to is that she pulls the outfit carefully off of the little girl and gives her overalls but she knew she'd been through a lot and wanted yeah some she comfort. was just like yeah. so you know worried about her yeah and then she realizes it's boo in the corner yeah once they go in that boo was the one that saved him boo was the one that saved him i don't think we realize until 
the sheriff comes who mm-hmm. actually did it. Who? Bob? Okay, she disclosed it. We know it's Bob. I oh, know. Did we not say that? No. That's oh, what I was Bob has attacked the kids. Oh. <laughs> yes, Bob Yule has attacked yes. the kids, that cowardly man. And then we find out that basically what happened was Bob had been following them, you know, apparently had gotten the courage after hassling the judge, hassling Helen. It Helen was, is Tom Robinson's wife. Right. A couple chapters back, he did spit in Atticus' face, but he had said to him, he's like, I'll get I'll you get Atticus you before I die. die. Yeah, if it's and the last thing I do or something. He like got that. him where it hurt, which was the kids. kids. And so we find out that with Jim, he was trying to fight him off, but he had actually like popped his arm out or something. He broke like, his arm. Yeah, but it also the elbow like doesn't work. Like it's lower. The, right. It got out he of probably, the joint. He probably dislocated his shoulder. He, yeah. And the elbow was pointed the wrong way. He broke his arm oh it's like more than broken though like because they said it's lower and we right. and this was the thing we had mentioned before or not mentioned but the very first page of the book forecasts that Jem has the accident it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet thing and I don't yeah. know if she copied that you don't realize they I mean they tell you it's a tragedy from the beginning and you're mm-hmm. like whatever this is exciting <laughs> this and, and that's how the tells. story unfolds yeah but we find out that Bob had a kitchen knife stuck in him mm-hmm. that he probably had brought this is where I got confused because I was thinking that Boo did it I was thinking he came out of his house and was like, cool, I'm going to kill him. I think that's exactly what happened is Boo killed Bob because why would Bob have a kitchen knife on him? But then there was he also would have had a pocket the knife. Switch fl- yeah, right? which, I, which they found. Bob probably had the switchblade and Boo came out to defend the kids with a kitchen knife. That's what I thought. And yeah. then I don't know, towards the end they were kind of talking in half talks because they're trying not to say the obvious thing. Right. Tate's trying to be like, let's let this go because it's over. Right. Let the dead men lie. You know, obviously Atticus doesn't want to mm-hmm. follow and show this example and he's like, no, we have to go to trial. We can't sweep this under the rug. But, you know, Tate's going back and forth. I don't know. Jem is he was trying not to even... save Boo or is he trying no, to save I think I, Okay, first of all, I think Jem obviously had nothing to do with that. I don't think that. so either. Yeah, he was, he was just a trying kid. to survive. Right. Jem had to put this behind him by saying, I'm innocent. This was self-defense. I had to do this. That to... they weren't above yeah. it. That they were going to do yeah. the process. And I right. think he also said, again, like how he was with the Tom Robinson case, mm-hmm. that how could I be their parent and just say, oh, it's fine. Right. You have to do to the letter of the law. The thing that stuck out for me, and I had to reread this a couple of times, and it was late, so I don't know. I, but I reread it a couple of times. It was, if we let this go, if we let that he just fell or like mm-hmm. got hurt or he had an accident, that tomorrow morning maybe there would be food at the Ewells or something. Is that how you read it? There's, I didn't understand that. What do you mean? There's a line where it says, where Tate finally convinces mm. Atticus, mm. and he's trying to let this issue go. Then the Ewells, people will sympathize with them and bring them food yeah there was something oh, to that understand. effect I didn't or got that. overall that this quarrel will be done because you will got atticus yeah. or whatever and yeah. then they got Yule. yeah and then it has to keep going and so it was kind of the way i read it that they were just letting this kind of be the best thing mm-hmm. for the town yeah but i still don't know that it set well with atticus at all i mean i think oh, of course not i think what happens is atticus finally lets it go when atticus puts two and two together and realizes it was probably Boo who saved the kids. And so really, rather than drag Boo out into this big public trial, he's like, okay, I get it. Boo wants to be protected and guarded. 
Bob Ewell fell on his knife. That's what the story oh. was going to be. I loved what Atticus looked at Scout. Can yep. you possibly understand? And she he was goes, like, yep, yep, that's what happened. That's he fell happened. on his knife. And they, Do you think Scout knew it was Boo? I yeah. still don't know if it was Boo. It makes sense because that's what my thought was. Either way, the idea is that she knows that she's kind of fibbing here. This isn't what happened. But okay, but, even if okay. it was innocently, might have been what happened because he's so big and he probably mm-hmm. did fall, to be honest, if they tumbled. Whether Ewell died by the fall or if Boo or did, Boo he did. still had to get Gem out because this yeah. poor little girl's like stuck in this. Con- yeah, the, yeah, she's, she's stuck a in ham. Ham costume. <laughs> but I loved in the next chapter, it just kind of cuts to they just go in this big buildup of her finally meeting Boo. Like hi, her Boo. fantasy she had mentioned like it's before. Just like, like, oh, hi, Boo. Yeah, <laughs> she had this fantasy of just being like, hey, how's it going? All right, Mr. Radley or Arthur, Mr. we're going to go to the room. And she kind of just knows, treat him with kid gloves. It's just weird that she knew that. I mean, that he's so white, like a ghost, because he's just never seen the sun and he's like coughing and stuff. So then I think, did he have the strength to kill Bob? Because he's so sickly, he couldn't even walk by himself to his house. But could you imagine? Maybe he spent his whole energy getting Jim. Probably. Probably. You know, he's watched these kids grow up. Yeah. You know, there to him, this is, what do we say, kid TV? And she knew to put him in the shadow in the porch, which I thought right. was so sweet. Well, and because he would be more it. comfortable, Here's the like, other not thing. being in the spotlight. Here's the other reason why I think it's Boo, because remember, Boo lives in the shadows. Mm-hmm. He was the only one accustomed to the And they were walking light. by his house. And, and they were walking at narc. Uh, at narc. They were walking. narcs. They were walking at night. So he definitely had the ability to see and help the kids versus a drunk man. And the only reason you could see Scout was because of the white streaks in the ham costume. I thought it was interesting, too, that she walked him home. Oh, yeah. And everyone was okay with that after she had been attacked. Is this all right? No, well, I think the threat was over. But still, I think it's just so funny. It's like that small town where it's okay. Because I would have been like, no, you're staying home. You just almost died. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things where Arthur Radley's house was within eyesight. I know, but I guess it speaks to the small town. It is. Um, But it was just so funny how she, it dawns on her when she gets to stand at the vantage point that Boo would have seen. And she realizes, you know, she goes through the seasons Mm -hmm. and sees what he would have seen Mm -hmm. the whole time. Oh, yeah. That was so pretty. It was just, it was kind of random to me, though, in the style throughout the whole book. It never comes really back to that way. It just felt kind of weird at the end. I think we all said that, that it just felt like a different tone, maybe. Well, and then she never saw Boo again after that. She mm-hmm. says that, and that made me really kind of sad. And then it just finished the way the book finished. How did you go about that? Uh, uh, yeah. I know. Kind of ends too soon. Yeah. But here's the thing. Remember, Jem saw Boo the night Miss Maudie's house I burned down. I think he saw him, though. He I did, because really he said if you just turned him. around, you would have seen him. But he him. was just saying, like, if you had, you would have. Not like I did. But I think that's probably why Jem wasn't afraid of Boo anymore. I think he just grew up. I think he was like, whatever, oh, Santa's like, not there. Yeah. Okay. Like, looking at the last lines of the story where he goes, where she asks, he's like, he was really nice, like, talking about Boo or whatever. And Atticus goes, most people are Scout when you finally see them yeah and even towards the end after everything like his kids were attacked just such a things are never as they appear yeah yeah just they finally see him scout begins to really see people for who they are Mm -hmm. mic drop the book ends with the thought that atticus will be in jem's room until he wakes in the morning and that's it ta-da we did it we did it that's all folks you know books now all right you know one book you know one book (laughs) And that wraps up our chapter summary of To Kill a Mockingbird. We're going to have a quick break again, go to the bathroom, and we'll catch you back on the other side with wine. wine. <laughs> 
I want to give a special shout out to our episode one sponsors, Brad Mayer from Precept Wines and Regina Wilson from Gruet Winery. Thank you so much for taking a chance and believing in our podcast. If you're in the New Mexico area, please check out their tasting rooms and look for Gruet sparkling wines everywhere you shop. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that the business is done, we're going to start opening it up and we're going to start with some wine. I didn't realize how much sparkling was out there. Yeah. You know, because you just don't think about it. Yeah. Well, that's good to know for someone who primarily <laughs> drinks sparkles. This is about 75% Pinot Noir grapes and 25% Chardonnay grapes. Wow. Which are like my two favorite wines. <laughs> so that's probably partly why I like it so much. Yeah. It's very. I'm, it just is very pleasing. Yeah, I'd it's say. easy drink. Yeah, very easy. Which to is drink. why sparkling is so sweet. Great. Not sweet. How do you no, mean to say? It's a little sweet, but I wouldn't say it's like a sweet. I don't know. It's not overly dry either. Yeah, it's hard for me to describe it when I just love bubbly. Yes. Yeah. But I do love it. I have only met a couple I don't love, and it was why I don't know. It just tasted like when you can't swallow something. <laughs> no comment. No that comment. it just doesn't taste right. <laughs> <laughs> and. I think I'm going to stop. I'll just stop right there. Let's continue oh, talking about right. grapes. Oh, so hmm, it's uh, bottle-aged in uh, oak barrels. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about New Mexican wine because I didn't know there was such a long history about New Mexican really? wine. I feel like everywhere has wine, and then I'm just still shocked that Georgia has wine. I know yeah. we've been killing it for a little a bit time. now. but Who knew? Nothing surprises me now, mm. I guess. <laughs> Since you are quite fluent in Spanish, maybe you can help me oh, with gosh. some of these names. In 1692, the Franciscan friar Garcia de Zunilla. I think it's Zunilla. Zunilla. But which sounds you know, right. my Garcia mom, de Zunilla. My mom tells me my pronunciation is horrible, so oh, yeah. well, there's that. Okay, anyway, <laughs> Franciscan friar and a Capuchin monk, and that would be Antonio de Artega. That's how I would Artega? say it. Ortega. I can't Ortega? roll R's, which is also hilarious. I, I can't roll R's. all of you. I'm going to say it's a handicap. A handicap. Okay. <laughs> you can't roll your R's. Can't roll That's my okay. R's. I can't roll my R's either. So we have a Franciscan friar and a Capuchin monk, and they planted the first wine grapes in the Rio. Hmm. I say Rio Grande. What do you say? Rio Grande or Rio Grande? I don't think I say anything. <laughs> <laughs> How do you Rio? say it? In the Rio. In the Rio. In the Rio. Valley. That's interesting because for Rio communion, Grande? they needed some wine. That's what I would think. That's exactly. Thank you. You got it. <laughs> Basically took place up until the year 1880 and grapes were grown on over 3,000 acres and the wineries produced over a million gallons of wine. Whoa. That's a lot of wine. Yeah. Like a million. In, a million today, gallons of wine. Lot. That's a lot of wine. Wow. Then we come to why New Mexico stopped being a leading producer, which would be prohibition. I would believe it, although I wonder if, did anybody like secretly have vineyards? Because I mean, what did they do well, for communion? So that did is... Did they have to import it? So prohibition in the United States forced many of the wineries to close. However, others did remain operational 
So when did it come back up? In 1978, the New Mexican government sponsored a study that encouraged wine growers to plant hybrid grape varieties in New Mexico. So there was this whole thing. So if you think about it, when Gruet came in 1983, that's not that much later. Sure. So they obviously were... They're um, like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. (laughs) When, and I think his name is Gilbert, although I'm sure he goes by... Gilbert or something. Or Gil. Gil. Bert. Gilles. Gilles. Gilbert. I'm not even going to try to pretend. I'm just going to call him Bert. Yeah. When Papa Gruet came to New Mexico to look for a place to put his wine, obviously he must have been one affected by the study. Yeah. Because he brought French grapes to New Mexico and planted an experimental vineyard in Engle. That's E-N-G-L-E, New Mexico. Which this is really interesting because it is about 10 miles from a town called Truth and consequences that's what the town's called that's called oh the town's called truth and consequences i grew up in truth and consequences new mexico <laughs> so if you grew up in that town please give us a shout out i want to know more what that town is like yeah what's your mascot for your high school team Ooh. <laughs> I was like, do you it's have a an hammer. angel i was about to say do you have an angel and a devil yeah it's your, like, like a mascot? hammer like a scale a oh a scale it's yeah it's libra it's the yeah, libra it's symbol libra. You're a Libra, aren't you? Another really important fact about Gruet wines that you might not know about, it has been called America's best sparkling wine. Really? It was the right region, it was the right climate, and very similar to what he was doing in Champagne. I did know that they made wine because I think one of my fantasy trips um, with my husband post-baby is to just go out to like a spa or yoga retreat yes. out there, do nature, totally. and drink a lot of wine. So I think I did know this. That they were. I just didn't know who was there. Mm. But now I know that my favorite type of beverage, sparkling, comes from, comes New, comes Mexico. from New Mexico. Cool. And that it just all the stars align. So I could do that. You could do that. I just have to have the to leave my kid if you're in new, <laughs> if you're anywhere Just near new mexico yeah. they have a tasting room in albuquerque and in Ooh. santa fe so please go and check aren't them there out. like springs and stuff like there's like i think there's, there's like so much to see in new mexico and so- yeah, for any I've any never been there. listeners out go. there, if you guys have recommendations for future hotel stays and vineyard, you know, hook us up. Let we want to know. know. We want to know where to go. What's some the best people want to be. take baby moons, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And post ones. Uh, maybe I just want to take a moon. Or just Can a I moon. Just take a moon. Let's just take another moon. Why does it have to be baby or honey? I want to take a moon. You have a cat. Can I have a cat moon? A cat moon. Can I have a cat moon? Without even knowing it, this is such a great one for yeah. us to start with. It's of so many, like, it literally is a toast classics. to start our podcast, but also yeah. it does relate so well to the book in the fact that, in a literal translation of yeah. Blanc de Noir being white of black. And it's just, it's just so yummy. I mean, and it's bubbles, yummy. Who doesn't want to drink just like, sparkling wine? Like, come on. It just goes down like nothing. It really In does. a good way, not in a bad way. So we've got our snack, we've got our. Our beverage. So let's oh. get into our discussion. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, mm. Amelia. Yeah. Who killed Bob Yule? I don't know. I, I, th- I know who I think killed Bob. I think one of two situations. I find that it's either a scuffle. To be fair, Jem, I don't think it would be, it's not like you're guilty. I mean, if someone's attacking you in the dark, you don't know. I mean, it could have been that. But I think there was a kitchen knife involved. Bob doesn't bear... Okay, here here we go. He doesn't have a kitchen. How's he going to have a kitchen knife? He had a pocket knife with him. Right. So I think Boo, when he was coming to rescue, maybe he brought a kitchen knife. 
maybe he stabbed Yule. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I think that's exactly what happened. I can't Because commit. here's what happens. Ready? We find there's two knives mentioned in the right. final chapter. Is Heck says he took somebody's knife. Yeah. He has a knife he took from somebody earlier. But he doesn't say who it is. But I'm assuming that would be Bob Yule's knife. Yeah, because, you know, those guys carry knives. Guys in the carry South, knives. we carry knives. We carry pocket knives. Yeah, and right. I don't so think that was Bob did. Yule's knife. Yeah. Now, Boo saw that the kids were being attacked from his porch. Mm-hmm. And so Boo, being protective of his family, mm-hmm. went and got a kitchen knife and stabbed Yule. Mm-hmm. And then that would be the knife that was left in the body. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's what made it seem like, oh, he just fell on his knife. So yeah, Right, so, so we think it's... It's Boo. Yeah, so it's definitely Boo and saved mean, the kids because I don't think a 12-year-old would have been able to Yeah, I mean, himself. I'm sure he could have hurt, maybe nicked Yule, but I think either way, and I'm sure there's some, like, die-hard-to-kill Mockingbird fans. I actually didn't read anything online preparing for this book. I just wanted to read the book and interpret it the way, you the way my brain is because... If you guys wanted to know what the internet said, you could. So there, you know, we might be completely off in our summarizations. But I think either way, the best thing is what Tate says about he just wants this to die. Like he doesn't well, want there to be like, you will try to attack kids and then you will die. And because he wants it to be like, all right, let's all take care of the Yule kids. You know, be like this big tragedy. People would be know. like, oh, I'm so sorry. Bring food to the Yules. And, right. you know, there wouldn't be this back and forth action. I right. mean, it was just going to go on forever. What did you think of the ending and how the book ends? Because that's it? The book's over? That's it? Yeah. I like, Do you think there needed to be some kind of resolution? It was so weird to me. Oh, I walked Boo home and I never saw him again. Mm-hmm. And then would you expect that just... relationship to change? Yeah, I don't know why he had to be isolated, but I guess because of who he is. He wasn't meant to ever be a social person at this time of his life. And one side, I'm glad that we met him. Yeah. And he had a moment, you know? Yeah. And then on the other side, I don't know if maybe Harper was just trying to be like, you know, life goes on and this mm-hmm. is it. And now we're continuing on and yeah. one this step further. This is just further. a section of the story. Yeah. And- I mean, obviously through Scout, she has grown up and she has learned a lot. But it, it was weird. So I don't mind necessarily that we'd never see Boo again. What I think is weird, we go home mm-hmm. and Atticus is just reading, you know, next to to Jem to make sure he'd be fine Mm -hmm. and then we end it we know he's gonna wake up because in the beginning Mm -hmm. it refers to the years before his big accident and it's kind of sad because we find out he likes football but of course now he can't play football because apparently his arm which is fine but still not fully functioning right but it, it is weird it's like you know there's just so much good meat in the middle of the book the trial so good and Atticus has such great statements throughout the book that yeah. the end maybe could never be whelming, as they say. It has to be <laughs> underwhelming because... Have you ever been whelmed? Have you ever been whelmed? <laughs> because, you know, there was so much goodness. And then now yeah. it's like everything finally released. And so you're kind of like... Wah, wah. I don't, And I don't know if that was intentional mm-hmm. or if maybe I just suck at literary things. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. no. Okay, so I know one of the parts of the book that I really loved was when she's in school, and I forget what grade she's in at this point, 
but they bring up current events and the Hitler stuff Mm -hmm. and how she makes this connection where she realizes like it is always it's like definitely socially acceptable to not accept Hitler what he's doing to the Jews and like even Mm -hmm. the way that was it little Chuck Little or is it I think it's Cecil Jacobs that does it yeah which he's so cute like you can tell he's just like I don't know but that's not good I mean it's clear even a child can understand Scout wonders she goes well why is it okay for us to hate somebody so far away Right. When in our own town, and especially after the trial, mm-hmm. how how is this not accepted? And I think for me, I mean, there's a lot of big themes in this book. And as a child, you know, from the child and from adults and, you know, doing good and all that kind of things. But what I like is not just the race, but like social and economic status is that we're not all necessarily equal, but we all need to respect each other Everybody. equally. Yeah. And so I think that was one of the things that, especially the story being told from a child's perspective, there is something about they haven't had to make compromises. They haven't had to rationalize their their feelings. I do wonder how different it would be if it was one from Jem's perspective, being a boy and being older and someone who is a little bit more in control with his emotions than Mm -hmm. Scout is. What would it sound like if it did come from Atticus or if it came from Calpurnia or even Aunt Alexandra? I mean, I can just hear Aunt Alexandra just being frustrated with this little girl who clearly is fighting her in every step of the way. I think it goes to the fact, I think Raymond Dolphus Mm -hmm. explains this too there's no clouded lens that a child has you give them information and that's literally how they take it if you say blue wall they're not like well the wall's kind of tainted on this side they're just like all right blue wall and so when you're explaining to a child good and bad and right and wrong they're able to just kind of look at it and be like well why are you doing this over there that's wrong and so at the jail when She's just like, wait, you're friends with us. Like, why are you, why you know, you there's no this? adjectives to her yeah. life right now. There's just the facts. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something for us to remember, too, of course, as adults. That was one of my favorite parts is that. Perspective. Yeah. And I know this is like now it's such a different time. But how he makes fun of women, too, with the juries. Yeah. I, I mean, it's well, kind of funny because, first of all, if you're just I looking at Miss Mowdy yeah. and Miss and like the DeVos, they the really counter. would be yeah. horrible jurors. Like, they would be. They but would be. It also is such a small town. It's like imagine your family like being a juror against a case against you. You'd be like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I don't know. It's kind of funny. It's funny, but I don't like it. I know. <laughs> hey, Amelia, guess what time it is? It's character cocktails. Character cocktails. Time for character cocktails. Amelia, what's character cocktails? So character cocktails has emerged from the idea that we are all different faceted people. And because that is true, we're just mixing a couple characters. You make a cocktail that is Kate or Amelia. So we have a couple of ideas of our different combinations, and we'd love to hear in the comments wherever and whatever social media platform that what kind of character cocktail are you from to kill a mockingbird? So do you want to start, Kate? Sure. Okay. I have three characters that I think okay. I'm a mix of. Now, before we start our character cocktail, what's the rule of thumb? Is like a cocktail's three ingredients... Should oh, we well, should we stick to I three? I think you can have as no. Well, I think you can have as many. There's as like you a want. classic cocktail ratio. My husband always tries to tell me this. Oh, okay. but we'll have to come back to this. Maybe you guys know, but there's okay. something like a classic cocktail or something's like good three ingredients. Well, or I think two a rule of thumb is three in general. 
I don't know. But anyway, let, let's get into it. So okay. character cocktails. Obviously, my first one being Miss Maudie. Sure, that's your base. Because, you know, if anybody I would directly relate to is the one that would be a gardener and a baker. Sure. Probably about 70% Miss Maudie. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a heavy drink that, right that's, there. That's a, I mean, if we're talking a Like alcohol-based. You know, hmm, if this was a Manhattan, it would be pretty much the rye okay. of the Manhattan. All right, Miss Maudie. So my vermouth would be a bit of Boo Radley. Okay. And only Wait, because. Why? Yeah, right? Because <laughs> your brains? Because <laughs> of my brains. No, because this is my reasoning. He's a bit of a homebody. Okay. Loyal to his very well, close friends. Home, homebody is a very loving word for some for Boo special Radley. Okay. inside All the right, house. Fine. Okay, homebody, a, homebody. A bit okay. of a homebody, loyal to his close friends, okay. and gives the best gifts. Yeah, that's true. They are very thoughtful. Artisanal. Artisanal. Yeah. Artisanal. Okay, so my last, my my bitters to my Manhattan. Okay. My little drop. I think I'm a bit of Miss Caroline. Oh, and I say that. I see that now. Because I think it's sometimes. You're so nice. Well, I think, and what I said is sometimes a bit oblivious, but always wants to do good. I didn't like Miss Caroline, so I disagree, but I like, I see what you're pulling, because I mm. think we disagree here. So yeah. I thought Miss Caroline was just dumb. No, she was smart. She was just. How is she going to come from another town and be like, I know how to teach your kids? thing. Miss Caroline was such a tragic character in the regards that it's like, here's this woman who's fresh, probably out of college. She's learned all these ways to approach teaching and apply it to these kids. And she gets placed in this small town where she wants to do good. She shows up and half of her class hasn't bathed. She has one student who's obviously stellar. And this kid immediately talks back to her. And even Scout's like, she's so pretty. I almost feel bad for her. It's like, have you ever been to a class where your teacher doesn't ask you your names? Tell us a fun fact. It's like she just read a book of how to drive and never got behind a steering wheel and was like, I'm an expert driver now. Okay. Well, you gotta start I'm just, somewhere. I'm just saying, you could tell she was super cute and she was like with it. And I could tell, I don't think she was like malicious. No. I just think she just. She didn't get she it. She wasn't bright. She didn't get it. She I was don't, oblivious. And I don't want anyone to think that this is what I think Kate is. No, no, I, no. I'm I actually disagree with Kate's cocktail. A bit oblivious <laughs> and wants to do good. <laughs> but yeah, no didn't like her oh well but she you know but she was supposed to be like to each their own yeah to each their own cocktail we we can't like all the cocktails all right she was my bitter in my manhattan if that makes any appropriate okay yeah so mine is now i've thought about a couple different Mm -hmm. versions Mm -hmm. of this cocktail but Mm -hmm. i do think unfortunately that i have a lot of aunt alexandra in me Mm -hmm. let's just be honest Mm -hmm. and I do love Miss DeBoose's spunk, <laughs> and I do love Atticus's rationality, and I think that's already three, but I guess I should add a nice person. I'm not a mean person. Atticus I, is a nice person. Atticus is nice. He's very rational. This is what I relate to. I guess I am also like a little like scout in the sense that if like I get facts and I'm like, all right, that's it. So you said that and we're committed mm-hmm. to this now and I don't understand and totally related with her. She's trying to beat up her cousin. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm trying to beat up my cousins. I love you all. <laughs> but it was just like, she's just so protective of her dad and her brother and stuff and the, her relationship with Dill. So I think, yeah, Anne Alexandra, look, she's rough. She's had her own way, you know, and she's trying to teach, you know, Scout to dress and stuff. But she's just got a job. She's just trying to do her job. Like, she's just mm-hmm. trying to be helpful. She's just got it's her the principles. the same thing Caroline's trying to do. Just I do her job. What I love about Anne Alexandra is she's just so unforgiving 
raving about it. This is who I am, and mm-hmm. there we go. And I just mm-hmm. love her relationship with Atticus, too, as a sibling. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm a very tart cocktail <laughs> in this book. But yeah, I don't know. I guess gravitated. sour. Yeah, I'm just a little, a little tart. Yeah. But yeah, and then Miss DeBose, I just, she just goes for it. Yeah. She doesn't care. She doesn't have time. She doesn't have time to be nice and sweet. And I think my alter ego is like that. Like when I'm tired, I'm like, I just don't care. (laughs) That would be that kind of cocktail, I think. Okay. Well, it's good to know. I like it. Did we lose anybody? (laughs) What's your character cocktail? Yeah, maybe you guys are like sweeter than we are. I don't know. We're not sweet cocktails this time. Not this time. No, we'll see you next time. Although, next time. (laughs) What do we say? Classics are classics because they're still relevant. Yeah, I definitely think it it belongs in the Bottle Classics lineup because it's definitely one of those books, even if you've never read it or you kind of vaguely know To Kill a Mockingbird, like it's a saying you know, yeah. and there's definitely something you're supposed to know about it. So hopefully this episode gave you enough to glean from and have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> We're really excited to be doing this podcast and read again. Yeah, really read again. This is something we put a lot of hard work into, and we want to hear your feedback. Yeah, what did we get right, but what did we get wrong? Yeah, because what I really want to know. Who killed Bob Yule? Who killed Bob Yule? <laughs> I vote boo. Let's do a vote. Let's okay. take a poll. All right, so on our Facebook, we're going to do a poll. Who killed Bob Yule? Yeah, it's kind of like that, um, what is that show from the 70s? Who killed, or is it the 80s? Who killed J.R.? Do you remember? No. It was, okay, you guys are going to kill me for this, but it wasn't it like Dynasty or something? Or like something that was like, who killed J.R.? And you never find out until like the end, and I still don't know because I didn't watch it. Oh. I don't think this is what this is, but I'm just saying. So we want to find out who you think killed Bob. Also, maybe you could do a tally of how many likes we have said on this show. (laughs) We've been told we say like a lot. a lot. I think your prize is that you made it through without your ears bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) So check out our bottle blog. We're going to post some recipes up there. We're going to tell more funny stories. And we're going to continue the discussion there. And if you want to support the podcast and look cool doing it, check out our online shop. We have everything from tank tops to tumblers. Bottle Classics is produced by Big Fig Productions. Each episode is written and hosted by Kate Rodick and Amelia Ramirez. Our theme music was written and performed by Funk Cake. Our website and social media is designed by Clever Tiger. Photography for this episode was provided by Evan Martin. We'd like to thank Brad Mayer from Precept Wines and Regina Wilson from Gruay Winery for supplying us with the most delicious wine. And lastly, we couldn't do this podcast without the incredible support of our husbands, Robbie Anderson and Alex Rodick. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest at Bottled Classics, or reach out to us at our website at bottledclassics.com. Please stay tuned as new episodes will release the last Sunday of every month. But remember, drink and read responsibly. Thanks, guys. Bye. See y'all.